Right now with Talk Talk, you can speed up and spend less on broadband. Out of contract on Superfast Fibre? W Speed and save £134 on average by switching to Talk Talk Full Fibre 150. Just £32 a month for 24 months. Gets ultra fast full fibre, average speeds of 152 megabits per second, plus the world class Amazon Aero router. Switch to Full Fibre 150 and save £134 on average. Search Talk Talk Full Fibre for deals that make sense sense. Talk Talk. CPI plus 3.7% annual increase from April 2023. Average saving on full fibre 150 versus competitors publicly available out of contract fibre 65 equivalent on 18th July. Ends 9th November, 9.95 PMP, subject to local availability. Today, I'm here with Justin Rollins, and he has written a book that I'm halfway through right now, The Lost Boys, A Dark Side of Graffiti. Highly recommend it. We're talking quite a harrowing childhood here. Then finding like family unity in the street gangs, the graffiti gangs of London. These guys are jumping on the trains, hiding under the trains, not paying, jumping over the barriers, causing chaos with the shopkeepers, tagging this, tagging that, and the rival gangs have all got knives. So this stuff is escalating and escalating. Then the X scene comes around, they're all dropping E's, and um, Satanism starts. One of the gang members is a proper psycho doing all this Satanism in his room. And I'm only halfway through, so we're going to have to hand it over to Justin to hear what happens for the rest of it. But before we start with his, with his story chronologically, prior to setting the camera up, Justin was telling me about he was in this prison and there was an altercation with this guy who was in for extremely serious offence. So thanks for coming on, Justin. Thanks. What year was this and what prison was this? This was probably 2003 um, and it was HMYY Owsbury in Buckinghamshire, which was a young offenders institution for 18 to 21 year olds serving four years to life. So you can imagine if they're in that age group, um, the lifers were in for some well, obviously serious murders um, and a lot of them had attention in the press and stuff for their crimes. So it was a... Um, a place that was on edge full of like young men with like basically nothing to lose or that they saw no future. So it was a dangerous, dangerous place. Right. And you said there was a lot of lifers in there. Yeah. There was a life there. Yeah. There was a lot of lifers, people doing um, time for murder, horrific, horrific crimes. Um, there was one guy I can think of, I won't say his name for um, obvious reasons, but I was on this prison unit. I was settled on the unit um, and I would think I was a cleaner or something. And I noticed the other cleaners on the unit um, going up to this new guy that was on the on the unit. Um, and they was really friendly with him. I just kept my eye on him. And then like he was a, he was really jokey with them. And say around a few days later, he starts being jokey with me. But. I wasn't the sort of person that could take a joke back then or I didn't know how to sort of take a joke and I was thinking, why does this guy keep joking me? I didn't like it. It made me feel sort of on on edge. When you say he was making a joke with you then, what was he saying exactly? Because you know, like, I never really knew him and he's coming up to me going, oh, you're a joker and like doing like things with his fists and stuff. It was just making me feel like uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, you don't know the guy. Um, and then I learned that he was in for murder um, and attempted murder. He he had thrown two people off of a off of a bridge off a bridge um and 
I think they had that they had attacked these two guys. Him and a group of people had attacked these two guys, and then they were unconscious. And then they picked them up and they threw them off of a bridge. That's cool. One of them just drowned because he was unconscious, and the other one woke up floating. Like I think his backpack was holding him up, and he woke up and he was floating down a big river. I won't name the river, but it was a was big, London, strong river. Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, and it was yeah, obviously all over the news and that at the time. They were just random people they came across. Yeah, random people just like that, crossing the bridge and then like dead. Well, one was dead and the other one woke up floating down down the river. So um, yeah, this was in my mind and this guy's coming up to me, joking with me, making me feel a bit uncomfortable. And then it must have been about a week later, we was on association uh, where all the prisoners are getting to associate and I'm playing pool and he's. I look over and he's just sitting there staring at me and then he's like, prankster. And then I think, uh, don't call me a prankster and he just jumped up and just ran over to me and was like what and then I, I had a broken tooth a sharp broken tooth and he just just out of nowhere just ran up to me and just head butted my tooth <sighs> uh, I rattled, I dropped to the floor I got up with a pool cue and I started chasing him and his head was like pissing out with blood where he had caught the sharp tooth the screws come running in um, and grab him and they take him take him away um, I never got in with the with a pool cue, and then that was all gone. He went to segregation unit, and we all got put back in our cells. Don't know what it was, but when you're in a prison cell, you know, sometimes twenty four hours a day, you've got nothing else to think about. So I'm just analysing the situation, thinking, right, this guy's just gone nuts over me just saying, "Don't call me a prankster." He's already killed, serving a life sentence. He's going to come back and kill me, yeah. and then. Like I, I, I think I couldn't sleep that night. I was, it was just weird. Like it just overtook me, like anxiety and paranoia. And then I was thinking, oh my god, he's going to come back. He's going to come back to the wing. He's going to kill me. I need to be ready. Um, and then for two weeks, I literally couldn't sleep. I was like worrying about, it, thinking this guy is going to do me. And then the screws come and they said, right, um, so and so is coming back to the unit. We've spoke to him. He's going to behave. He ain't got problem with you. He shake your hand. I'm like, yeah, fine. I'm 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 working on the servery, um, serving up food, and people are coming from the right hand side, and I'm thinking, right, he's going to come around here any any second. Um, and obviously, no one knows I ain't been sleeping for 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 two weeks, and then I'm looking around the corner, one prisoner, two prisoners, and then he's there, and he walks around the corner, and he's just staring at me, just standing there, just staring at me with his eyes, right? Um, I never knew the impact just that stare, those eyes would have on me. That was 2003. What was it? What is it now? We're 14, 15 years later, and today I still have a problem with eyes. If say I walk around the corner and I see like an like a aggressive man or something in Southland, and and he like looks at me with his eyes, or someone looks at me, I I I used to go nuts. Like I need to kill that person because yeah. it reminded me of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's still on odd occasion it can freak me out. But we're come more to that so i started um i'm thinking this guy he's playing the game he ain't gonna he's gonna kill me like this guy's gonna kill me right and then um you know days and weeks pass and i'm literally thinking about it constantly he's working on the estate party meaning that he goes off the unit and moves bins around and i'm a cleaner and i work on service so he's passing me each time Mm. and then um i started losing the plot like 
Um, I was in my cell and I started having an OCD and counting all these numbers and stuff in my head. Mm. And his prison cell number was like, it was on the twos, the twos landing. So it's 217. I still know it today, still see the number. It it jumps out to me. Um, so I was like obsessed with these numbers and like um, I'm walking around my prison cell, going, touching things five times. Um and my mind was telling me, like, if you don't touch her five times, this guy's going to kill you. And all this weird stuff starts happening. And like, I, like say Channel 5 was on. I couldn't watch Channel 5. Like, that, that's how, <laughs> that's how like, crazy it was. And then, like, I would have to... And then, and then I started thinking, oh, my God, this guy's like, we share all the same blankets, the, the prison, they be washed. And then I'm thinking, oh, his, like, energy and all this weird stuff has taken over my mind. His energy's on the, he's used this blanket. I need to wash my hands. He's touched this. And then I was like washing my hands, touching things five times. And then it was just like, I literally just like, like exploded, like mental health wise, just like exploded. I didn't know what to do. It's not like I can go and tell like a screw or something. I'm losing, losing the plot. Um, anyway, it comes up that he's going to be moved to an adult prison, but my mind already told me like he might move to an adult prison but he's still here and he's still going to get you in your mind. Um, I started becoming, so he moved. I started becoming really violent. Um, If anybody said the wrong thing to me, my way of coping with it was if I don't attack them and beat them physically and win, then I'm going to go back to my cell and it's going to be another one of those killers in my mind. That was my coping, coping mechanism. So any, you know, like back chat or joke got out of hand, I would have to attack first and be satisfied that I scared the living daylights out of that person or I won the fight. Otherwise, they would be in my mind. Um, Did any of those fights drag out? Yeah. Uh, sorry? Did any of those fights drag out? Um, uh, what, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, so you felt you had to instigate. Yeah. So you're having fights, multiple fights with people. Yeah, now, yeah. Did yeah. you have long, were there any long battles that you had there, with people then over There, there was over a that? guy, there was a big Northern guy, um, Apparent people you say that he was in for like sexual offenses, but there was no proof, right? But so people didn't like him anyway, but he was a big, big guy. Um, and I was a skinny little guy at the time. And he he was well, I had lost my job on the servery because my behavior was so erratic, and he worked on the servery. And I walked to the servery and they were handing out like bread or something. He just literally just threw it on my tray. It was like dickhead something like that yeah and then obviously that goes into my head to kill i'm like fucking kill i'm gonna kill you get sent back to my cell and then um i said no that's it i've got to do this guy now so i'm screaming out of the side of the door what i'm gonna do to him and then he knew that one of my teenage friends like my best friend in my teenage years had passed away so we started slagging off my friend to like wind me up so um i got I got a curtain tie and um, took the curtain tie off, made a hole in it and filled it with batteries. And then I was charging myself up. It had to be like two hours till association time. And then I was like, all right, that's it. Going to go out there. But I moved too soon. Where I was so like adrenaline pumped up and drained from getting charged up, he was playing pool. So I attacked him at the wrong time because obviously he had, a, he had a pool cue. So I, yeah, I started hitting him around the head with the batteries in a sock and then he snapped a pool cue around my jaw. Um, and then this time it was me taken off to the segregation unit. Um, when I came back, they told me that I was moving up to the, up to the second landing 
And then I was like, oh, this is my like controlled zone in my in my in my cell, like my OCD zone. And then I didn't want to move, but then they moved me upstairs. Um, and I was just on edge, like, oh my God, what if that killer's been in a cell? Like all this stuff running through my head. I finally started settling down in the evening, like laying on a bed, relaxing or trying to relax. And I, I, I done graffiti in my teenagers. So, um, I know, like, I don't know when it comes to like lettering and words and writing, scratching on walls and stuff, I, I can see stuff fades and stuff. It stands out to me from doing graffiti. So I'm laying there on my, on my bed and then I'm looking to, um, the cell door just started to try and relax and I could see someone's name carved in the cell door and then I'm like nah 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 it can't be and I get up get to the door and I start looking at the scratch the faded scratch it's the killer's name <sighs> so, so I was here and then I'm like oh fuck fuck and then like I'm, I'm like oh, go lay down on the bed I'm like fuck I can't lay on the bed he's been in the bed it's like sleeping with a fucking sleeping with the with the devil right so this is how I'm my mental health just declined. I started sleeping on a cold prison floor mm. um, and the night officer would come round and they'd be like, Rollins, what, what, you all right, mate? What are you doing on the floor? And I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm all right. The, the, bed's just un- the bed's just uncomfortable, Gov. <laughs> I couldn't tell anybody what was going on. Um, but yeah, it finally exploded. I couldn't, couldn't handle it anymore. I, um, I got the TV and I f- threw it off the ceiling, smashed, smashed TV, I got the glass and I just started um, like slicing up my arms and I put all my clothes, magazines and stuff up against the door. I set them on fire. Um, and yeah, I was just like, I was at the lowest, lowest point. Um, and then the screws come, fire brigade come. They took me over to the healthcare unit where I stayed for probably a few days. And then a really good officer come over to me and he said to me, say that you, you was attempting suicide because... Otherwise, you're going to get outside charge for arson. So I, I said that was a, an attempt on my life. So I didn't get any outside charges for arson. But I got took back to the prison unit and I had a piece of glass like stashed in my trainer or something. I was refusing to leave my cell. And then they was like, right, we're taking you to the segregation unit. So I sat back to the segregation unit. I'm like, F you. I, I don't care. Right. So but a segregation unit, there wasn't uh, windows that would open. It was just like plastic and was scratched to pieces. You could barely see out of it. So the air was tight in there. I had a lighter and glass. So once again, I'd start slicing my wrists um, and I set the tissue. It was only a toilet roll I set on fire. It was the only thing that was in there. But the smoke soon filled. Couldn't breathe. Like pressing the pressing the buzzer, like having a panic. Like, gav, gav. I could hear the prison officer just plodding along opens up the eye uh the spy hole could just see his eye and he's just laughing at me he could see the fire there's not a fire or i've pulled it out and he just still just gets the fire hose puts it through and just starts soaking me like literally laughing and that like the smoke which was making me like choke and be not being able to breathe and the the um the pressure of the freezing cold fire hose was like pushing me back and i'm running back and forth for the back of the cell trying to avoid it eventually the prison officers come with riot shields and i have to um strip naked go to the back of the cell and put my nose to the to the door um so to the back wall and then the instructions the screw comes in and he puts the shield to my back and then i have to start walking out backwards uh, bear in mind i can't breathe properly and um i'm naked and f- 
soaked. And then I step out of the cell and he's like, walk to the left, put your nose up against the, like, the outside wall. And then I'm walking out, I look to the left like that. I look down and there's fire brigade and all nurses and stuff. And when you're there, basically naked, you ain't been home for years because you're in prison. It was like one of the lowest points. Like those fire brigade would have gone home and we're like, yeah, told their wife out this nutter that was kicking off down the segregation unit. And it was just a... Yeah, low, low point. But um, after that, when I finally went back to the prison unit out of segregation, a nurse that was really nice, he come had a word with me. He said, look, Rollins, they're thinking about sectioning you. And then like I probably had a year left on my prison sentence. So that means if they section you in prison, you're permanently in the mental health facility. Yeah. And and then once you've done your time in the mental health, deemed fit enough, you come back to prison centres and finish off your year. I said to him, look, could they send me to like Broadmoor, right? And then he was like, of course they can send you to Broadmoor. He's like, we've had people from Broadmoor come back into this prison. And then like when he said the words Broadmoor and knowing his history and stuff, I was just like, I need to... He was basically giving me a warning, like, this is a heads up, you're one, your, your last chance. So after that, how much, no matter how hard it was, I had to get my head down with with the mental health issues that had that had developed. What had you heard about Broadmoor that made you spooked like that? Well, when I was in HMP Highdown in Surrey, um, I had had this. There was like a little. They had just opened a young offenders unit. It's an adult prison, but there was a young offender unit, and the young offenders were running crazy, like. The screws didn't know how to deal with them. They were obviously a lot were a lot more chaotic than adult prisoners. Um, and I had a cellmate called Buster, and he was just a nutter. He would sing out the window about people's mums and all this shit. So then we always had people come into the cell the next day to come and get him. Um, so then I get caught up in this feud that he's got with people on the unit, and then like I'm like, I've got to get out of here, right? It it was it was like there was a guy trying to come in with a razor. We're, we're barricading our uh, door, cell door and the screw literally walking along. He knows what's going on. He just opens the door like, like literally, I don't see the grin on his face, but he knows what's going on and he's just grinning. And then this big guy, Smithy, massive guy, he's got, trying to get Buster and Buster's like singing and that behind the barricade and like, he, and then he's, and then this guy Smith's trying to do him with a razor. Like they wanted to do him more than wanted to do me. And then I just couldn't handle it. I thought I need to get out of it. Right. So I fucking, I just, I uh, self-harmed and I got, got took down to the healthcare unit and I've gone down to this healthcare unit and there's probably just, just a long corridor and it's just quiet. It was like, oh my God, like peace. Like I've got some peace, right? There was no TVs or anything like that. And there was no other young offenders down on the healthcare unit. And I thought, no, this is good. This is like safety here. This is peace. I want to stay here. If I've got to keep acting crazy and self-harm or whatever, stay down here, I will. Um, So there's a story on the news at the time. There's this guy that had, um, there's this guy on a run from Basingstoke. He had chopped his, he had battered his best mate to death. Um, and he had chopped him up into pieces and threw his head in his head. His friend's head was found in the neighbor's bush. Mm. Um, bits of his body was found in a park. And then when the police knew it was him, they was after him. He flew out to New York, got found in Central Park in New York, reading the Sun newspaper. And people are going on about on the prison unit, right? Um, on the healthcare unit. 
And then like some like one day someone's come to me, like this guy's been caught now, he's gonna be extradited back to the UK. Um and then there's these gated cells on the prison, on the healthcare units, gated cells. Like normal prison cells in England, the big steel heavy doors. But on the healthcare units, they have a couple of 24 hour watch cells, which are gated cells, which look like a more of a like American old school you see in a movie with bars, right? And there was two, and they were for people that were um serious risk of self-harm or for like category a prisoners that have got high profile trials going on and you know they don't want them to kill themselves during trial or whatnot so then i get put in one of them for some reason and then someone comes up to the bars and goes mate you know who's here do you know that guy that chopped up that um his mate and that and like what the one in the paper is like yeah i've been listening to on the radio um and yeah come who comes plodding along richard markham um and he's like really happy he's like in this he's in a british prison now and he moves into the cell next door to me and i'm the only young offender there there's not really meant to be young offenders there but the prison system don't know what to do because they've only just opened up the young offender unit um and there's a just a tiny like bar like where, where the um where the cells join there's just a tiny gap so you could just sit there and chat chat for defense and then um just chat through the gate so richard became my friend um and i was reading a book at the time roy shaw's um book i can't remember what it's called pretty boy roy shaw and he's talking about broadmoor and i would tease richard saying ah, you're gonna go broadmoor mate and he's like no no i'm not i'm not and then um and then he would tell me he would tell me the ins and outs of his case and he actually got his friend's arm put it in the oven and cooked his cooked his friend's arm and um he showed me the diagrams you know like the layout of the crime scene from the police and he stabbed the fork in his friend's cooked arm and hot fat spat out in his face um anyway i was um being held next to this guy um i'll tease him saying he's going to broadmoor and on route to Owsbury, i got moved to woodhill just being held there um while my space came up in Owsbury. And I got a letter and it said, I opened up the letter and there was a little blue slip and it said, this mail has been thoroughly checked by the staff at Broadmoor. Um, and then it was a letter from Richard and he had, he's, like I told him he would end up in Broadmoor, but he had, I think he had thrown sh- hot water uh, with sugar in someone's face or something. Um, and then so fast forward when I'm in Owsbury and I was warned by the nurse that I could be sectioned and they said I could go to Broadmoor. And then I thought, nah, that's it. Get my head down now. <laughs> yeah. Wow, man. You're bloody brilliant at telling harrowing, disturbing stories. That's like, I'm God, so gripped. Mate, I've, got, I've got plenty more, man. I've got plenty more. I, I was in, I, I haven't told the story, but. Like, oh, when I was moved to HMYY, no, no, sorry, HMP Woodhill, um, and they had a young offender unit, but they had had a young offender unit for some years. They knew how to handle young offenders. So being from South London, I saw Woodhill was like a northern prison, but then there was guys from like Birmingham, Liverpool, and they saw that as like a southern. Um, And there was only a few London guys there on, on the unit, and there was a guy um from east from leighton stone and so we paired up so like can we share a cell so screws let us share a cell and after each um 
we would watch EastEnders after after EastEnders finish and the you know the end of it, the like the um the outro that like everyone yeah everyone would like kick the hell out of their cell door. It was just like ritual for like for like five minutes afterwards. Um, it was yeah, it was crazy. Like coming away for that for a second everyone as well would at night would howl out of the windows like we'd everyone would do different noises yeah so you'd have like sheep um big dogs little dogs like horses cats like just and then people would start burning stuff and throwing out the window and there was loads of rubbish below the window so there was always fires um and uh see like whitener coffee whitener that that's actually flammable so you would light the, your coffee whitener um so yeah you're looking out and there's fires and there's like all of these crazy noises going on but after east end is everybody's kicking the door and then me and um my friend from Leytonstone, we were trying to impress each other or try to be the loudest we're kicking the door then we start smashing the door in with a chair and then we just start smack we, we got so hyped you just start smashing the glass through um which the screws look through and um it was like once it all calmed down, I thought, oh, fuck, we're gonna go, we're gonna go segregation unit now for criminal damage. Um, and then I come up with the idea, like, look, I've self-harmed and that in the past. Why don't why don't I self-harm a little bit? And then you start banging on the door, and then you say you were so scared you smashed the glass, neither of us would get in trouble. <laughs> so that was the plan, right? So we start doing it, but I obviously had something wrong with me, like mentally at the time, that I started seeing how scared he was when I self-armed. So then I started doing it even more. Like we can go to my, obviously we go back to like my childhood with my gangs and the crazy shit we used to do. But that sort of behavior was like normal. So seeing the fear, it just made me like feel like crazy and powerful. And then I started like, he, he knocked some doors, the screws get him out. And then I start frying a chair, like kicking off and like tying stuff around my neck covering myself in blood like it just went a bit crazy man and then all of a sudden i i hadn't been done with uh by a by screws of a prison shield before that was later on in Aylesbury. so this was i wasn't expecting it i didn't know what was to come all of a sudden the door just swung open and they just had a riot shield they just come in just smashed me to the floor and i sort of rolled under the bed and they just dragged me out uh ripped my arms so far up behind my back and up and they're bending my hands but i was so charged up i was like yeah like this is like like wicked and everyone's cheering me on all the the ones that bang after eastenders like leave me alone i kicking the door and then right that's it i mean i don't know where i am i mean like hmp wood hill don't really know the prison all the screws have got me and it's like well it's the evening now and they're just walking through the prisons obviously locked down and they're taking me through all of these like corridors or outside and i don't know where i am and then i'm bent over the whole time like looking up to see where i am they take me into like this weird building it's like an office in the middle and it's like a circle of cells and i'm working out this must be the healthcare unit um and then i look over to the left and then i can see a boarded up area and then i'm like me why are they taking me in in there they're gonna fucking kill me or something they take me through this boarded up with a made-up door that's attached and that they take me in there and then there's three of them gated cells a 24-hour watch cells one of them was empty i was put in the middle one and the one on the left in the furthest corner there was a wall there um 
and then there was a female officer there was a table loads of like paperwork computer all sorts of stuff and there was someone being held in there and i'm thinking like oh i weren't thinking nothing of it at the time put me in my cell and then a prison officer sitting outside the gate and they're taking it in turns to watch me now in my mind i'm at war with them really i'm just at war with myself um but i'm at war with that prison officer i need to break him mentally so I put blood from my wounds over my face and I cover myself in this white blanket and I just walk around in a trance for say like an hour just mumbling all this stuff while looking at him like I have to break him. Like, that That's <laughs> like I have to break him, make him scared or whatever. Like in my mind, my fucked up mind at the time, that was my way of winning. Anyway, when it calmed down, went to bed, woke up in the morning and then was like looking at my new surroundings. Arms are sore from wounds and being bent up. I'm thinking, oh, I've got this feeling inside me of like anxiety and something going right here. And I, these doors, like these gated cells, they came out at an angle so you could sort of step out a little bit and look to your right. So I thought, nah, something came right with that table and that there and that officer there. So I stepped out, looked to the right and I looked at the name board and it said Huntley Category Cat A. And I was being held next to Ian Huntley, who was being held in Wood Hill. And he was going to go on, I don't know if he pleaded guilty, but he was up for killing the two, the Sower murders, killing the two young girls. And yeah, I was yeah basically held in that. And I'd literally just turned 18. And um, obviously with going on what I've been going on, I had like mental health issues and it just, I didn't know how to take it. It just fucked me up even more. Then I maybe a day or so later, I started like opening my wounds, really frustrated. Um, and then the devil was like, started speaking to me, excuse me, mate, excuse me. Like, cause the officer's telling me to stop it. And then Huntley was trying to tell me, excuse me, mate, if you stop, I'll give you some um, tobacco. And it was two female. It was a theme, I think two female nurses. But looking back now, he was just trying to show that there was some sort of humanity there. But obviously the guys are, uh, absolute beast man but that was um hmp woodhill man and then i think when i finally got to call my my family and i told them where i was being held next to huntley the prison um denied it and i was and they moved me straight away did you talk to huntley much that was that was that was basically it mate you tried to talk to me but i can't i could sit here over exaggerate oh yeah but that that was it man but looking back it did have a fucking impact on my already like um what was the nature thing. of what he did i can't remember he he, he killed two he killed two young girls in yeah. soham he was a caretaker oh um, that's the one yeah yeah caretaker yeah. and him and his girlfriend maxine Carr. um well i don't she, i don't think she, she wasn't she didn't kill them but she, she was convicted for something to do with because there was a huge man, wasn't there? yeah he yeah done it yeah and he was on he was on camera um on the news like being interviewed saying oh the poor girls this and that one only one thing is when a prison officer came over to, from the young offender unit to take turns to watch me to make sure i don't self-harm and then he was saying where are you from justin and i said oh, south london who do you support i say chelsea and then but i know he's over there he's volunteering to look after me so they can see the beast it's obviously big talk in the prison um and then he's like who do you support um Huntley and then he said Man United and that's the that, that them little girls are wearing Man United tops 
or in the or in the in the photo of them they're wearing man u tops yeah but yeah dark dark time really dark time so you had a lot of confrontations with the guards yeah was have you described that was the worst or was there a worst one that you had um probably just just that the the description of when i was in the um prison um in the segregation unit when the officer was looking through and his eye and he was laughing and obviously i felt like i couldn't breathe and i was gonna die and he sprang me with a hose that's probably the the most darkest one the others were just like yeah my sort of minor but that was the one that stuck with me because it's the whole eye thing you know, I haven't got any privacy in prison. Like any, per- you could be laying on your bed, and a random person could just like a random prisoner or officer, any person, member of staff can look through and just stare at you. Don't even know who they are. It's just an eye watching you. Do you know what I mean? So, it sticks with you. How much of the book is prison stories? Um, that the stories I just said about Woodhill and Owsbury um, are from a follow-on book that's not published yet. But in the the lost boys there's small stories of going in and out of young offenders institutions and richard markham comes at the end and then that's sort of where the book ends um so it's it's the following book that's mostly prison the first book the lost boys is basically gangs and street life and just the crazy stuff that goes on so if you want to get justin's book lost boys the link is in the description box below this video. I got it on my Kindle, so I'm assuming it's going to be available worldwide on Amazon as an ebook. So let's go back then to how this all started then, like where you grew up and how you fell into this gang lifestyle. Yeah, so um, I grew up early 80s in south southwest London, Surrey. Yes. Where I grew up in Sutton is Surrey, but it's still the London borough of Sutton. And it basically borders southwest London. Um, I grew up there. Uh, my mum was, my mum's mixed Anglo Indian and English, but English name looks white to me. Um, all of her sisters, white to me. All of my cousins, white. My dad was mixed anglo burmese and dutch burger dutch burger is a small catholic community in sri lanka um so they're obviously english speaking english dressed um but my dad wasn't around so i just grew up with my mum and my large white family so from the beginning well not saying from the beginning i I was different i felt i was different and um because of the color of my skin um and my mum would send me to this childminders and I was probably about five years old and like life's good, life's normal. I'm just a little boy going to school and one day the childminder's son just comes down and gets out some uh, fishing wire and just starts strangling me and um, I'm like crying my eyes out, terrified. And there was a boy there with special needs Um after he was taking it in turns of strangling us, he was strangling, I think his name was Chris, he had special needs, strangling him. And then Chris weren't crying. And in my confused state, even though it's five years old, looking back, it was like I was confused on why am I crying? And this this guy is not. So he didn't know how to express what was going on. Um, I think I told the childminder, like, like, your son's like strangled me. I think he must have been about 15. And then she was like, 
calling the boy with um, I know calling me a wuss. Okay, you're wuss because the because uh, the other boy weren't even crying. And I remember being like locked out on a balcony by them and like loads of teasing and mental torture. For some reason, my mum was still putting me in that care. And around the same time, like say like the months after that, I started doing violent, violent things, um, which I, I put down to to the incident that was happening to me. So I would be in the local playground. The kids are playing out on it. We lived on an estate at the time. And I'd like throw stones into the playground, like from afar and watch them hit other kids' heads. And like, we'd call it like cracking their head open. I cracked my head open. Um, And then I got a deaf and dumb boy. Um, It's probably not the correct term now, but we used to say it was called deaf and dumb back in the day. Um, And I grabbed the kid. Bear in mind, I'm only like five or six. And I got him and threw him down stairs. And then I ran off parents were like knocking down my mum's door and I was just blamed it on the girl that lived next door I started doing like like uh I think we killed like me and the neighbor we killed all of her fish and I was going to school and I was um stealing kids toys like loads of stealing was going on but the thing is I wouldn't keep the toys I'd give it always give them to other kids um eventually my mum and my stepdad they had saved up enough and they bought a house and we moved away um but i was already on a different path because of the incident that happened to me and i started um there was a bus stop opposite my house and i'd get my toy cars and i'd put them under the bus wheels and watch the car uh watch the bus like crunch them and it would make me feel really good and then i started setting fires um smashing windows all the sorts of like traits of like becoming a psychopath um and my, I didn't have contact with my dad, but his parents would come to see me sometimes and they would take me up to a museum in London and stuff. And once I was on the train going past like an abandoned train carriage, which was covered in graffiti and signatures, I said to my, gra- I said to my granddad, what's that? And he said, it's graffiti, it's a form of criminal damage. But with my destructive mind, it was just like, whoa, this is it. I saw that image, these people risked their lives and that was it. I found something that this is what, this is what I wanted to do. Um, so like the following, say, say the following school week, went into school and I stole a teacher's whiteboard marker and I went down to the local bridge and I started writing stuff on the bridge, come back the next day to show my friends but it was gone because it was a whiteboard. It weren't a permanent marker so the rain had washed it away. And even at that age, I was probably about 10 then, I started to try and create a ga- gangs. Um, so I had CVP, which stood for Culver's Vandal Posse, RLB, Ruthless Boys, and MFP, Motherfucking, motherfucking Prostitute was my gang name. And I was the only person in this gang. Um, I'll try to round up other kids, but they weren't really into the graffiti thing. But eventually... Um, I attracted kids that are into the same thing as me. Um, I met other kids slightly older that were doing graffiti. And then they soon taught me that you have to do graffiti at like, not down your alley, got hit train stations. And so they taught me something called bushwhacking, which meant you would sit in a bush. um, You'd go off the railway, off the train platform, sit in a bush. And when the train pulls up, you'd quickly run across the tracks and you'd write your name. I literally couldn't even reach the train. I was so small. And we would hit the Victoria bound. So 
it was put to me then that look you've wrote your tag on there your name is now going into the city and other graffiti writers in the city are going to see see your name and it was like for the first time um i found an identity because i didn't literally didn't know who i was the area i was grew, grew grew up in was a pretty racist place at the time um and someone with a dog as well didn't you yeah yeah i was attacked i think i was probably about three years old i was at my stepdad's and he had a doberman um if you know a doberman they were like bred for guarding duty so it's really a one-man dog you can have it's a family pet but it's, it was bred for guarding um and i was in my stepdad's and i was playing with my ball and anytime the ball went to the dog my stepdad would get the ball my stepdad had like disappeared for a few minutes and I just walked over to get the the ball and then bang, the dog just got me around the head. Um, he just missed my eye and then I've still got the jaw marks across my head, the bottom jaw wow. and the top jaw. Wow. Like bang, bang like that and it was just swinging me around like a rag doll. Um, yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, I was attacked by the, by the dog, put in hospital, she c- could have died. Um, that was a disturbing, the disturbing thing, an early disturbing thing in my childhood. From three to five, you went from some hella, hellacious stuff. Yeah, um, and th- so weird looking back now that the dog wasn't even put down. And any time I went over to my stepdad's house, the dog was just put in the conservatory. So I was sat one side of the glass and the dog was sat the other side. And I'm playing with my toys and he's just staring at me and it's the eyes again. The eyes just looking at me, looking at me. So like the trauma and the whole thing with eyes and that was getting embedded in my brain from from that early. Then I had something called um Ju- I think it's called pronounced Julian Barr syndrome where I couldn't all of a sudden I couldn't walk like I was paralyzed for like six months. It's like a disease that attacks your um nervous system. And then I was in children's hospital and that was a for me a dark and disturbing place being with kids on like a unit like it was it was like prison when i look back now how old um, were you in the children's hospital I was probably about four or five mm. there um i don't know if my mum stayed there with me every night but looking back there's some weird stuff i can just see like like a disabled kid attacking a member of staff or something kid with special needs or something it was yeah it was a weird dark place I would just crawl under the beds with my Ghostbuster toys. Um, and then I started banging my head to go to sleep. I would lay on my front and I'd just smash my head on the pillow c- continuously until I fell asleep. And as I started waking up the next day, I'd, I was waking up, smashing my head, and then I'd wake. And that was called a uh, rhythmic movement disorder. Mm-hmm. Nobody picked it up, but from researching myself, it can come from tra- a brain trauma. And nobody picked that up that it could have been from brain damage from dog or dog attack or something. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So you go through all this shit. Yeah. Um, you're, you're experiencing the racism on top of it all. There's a lot of words they're using again on you in the, in the book. Yeah. And um, then you click up with the graffiti gang and that, that kind of becomes your family. Yeah. So you're like just a junior one now. So how does that escalate? Well, um, I moved away from that area. Like we moved again and we moved to Malden, which was um, like Southwest London. And I met other graffiti taggers or writers. Um, One of them was called Joe 
his tag became Baff. He became my best friend. And my cousin, Tony, he joined us. Um, and then there was Nemzar and there was Chez. Um, so there's a group of us now. And we're just writing our tags, getting on the trains, going out, stealing spray paint and stealing alcohol, like skipping school. And there was, at that age, you would look up to this other graffiti. There's a big graffiti gang. They're still around in London today. Or say a, a graffiti crew. A lot of people don't like it being called a gang, like a collective of writers, graffiti taggers and artists. And they were called DDS, which stood for Diabolical Dubsters. And they lived the graffiti lifestyle. The graffiti lifestyle was basically hanging around the rail network and the underground stealing spray paint and graffiti equipment and plotting where you're going to go paint that night if you're going to do like a paint a long stretch of railway or climb into a tube depot train depot that was the the lifestyle and most kids wanted to be in in dds um but where we was forming a group it was like oh let's start our own um let's start our own graffiti crew so we called ourselves wz which stood for warriors warriors with a z on the end instead of an s and start writing it around around that part of southwest london and there was another graffiti crew slash gang from the kingston area and they were called wk and um i knew them but i didn't really think much of we were writing wz i'm just with my friends now um, and then messages were getting sent across saying, tell I'd created the tag 706 and the street name Sevens for short. Tell Sevens he wants to stop writing WZ because it sounds too much like our our crew. Um, but where I'm with my friends and I'm, I'm only 14 and I'm like, yeah, FWK. Um, and then we start putting lines through each other's initials, which is basically setting the, um, the like pace, the tone for a, for a confrontation um so i'm like acting like the big man in front of my friends and like fwk blah blah blah. there was another gang called um sk which should for sh- which stood for shadow crew and they're from like the wallet and croydon area and i knew some of them they came down to malden where we were hanging around and were saying yeah we've had to fight with wk at a party sk like soon disappeared the name and these guys joined wz all of a sudden there's like you know like 10 15 wz and it was going to grow bigger because the more we was writing wz on walls around say four or five towns or a few different boroughs the other kids wanted to come and join us and see what all the fuss was around so we was building a gang and then i was tiny but somehow i, I was finding myself like the leader of of this um so i'm saying yeah i know where wk hang around in new malden let's go down there and get them like i'd done violent things in my early childhood like the throwing stones and stuff like that but i'd never arranged anything like this um i didn't even think it was going to happen do you at 14 do you think that it's going to happen like no like uh, come friday like four o'clock i look around and there is i think I think maybe 15 to 30. I can't remember because we used to, when we would arrange gang fights, we would actually count, like, right, how many people we got together? One, two, and we're looking down the bus counting. Like, we were so proud of the numbers we could get. But, yeah, there was either like 15 or, or 30 guys. One of my friends turned up called um, Crazy Steve. I was 14. He was probably like 
13, but he looked like a man at 13. He had big, hairy chest, big guy, crazy guy. And his dad had made him a weapon for this fight. Like, <laughs> so his dad's... Um, his dad has made him half a broomstick, which has been shaved or shaved down into a point on one side. So that's a spike. Um, and the other side is screws with a Stanley blade coming out the end of it. Um, Steve's turned up for this fight and um, pulls out the, the weapon. And then everyone's, I'm like, wow, like, we actually have to go and do this now. Um, so we're waiting for buses to get down to that the area new malden and every time a bus driver saw us he just put his foot down he thought i'm not letting them on eventually we managed to get onto the bus <laughs> get down to new malden there's a few boys from battersea there more hardened kids and i didn't know that they had knives and stuff on them and we're walking down the alley and then because i'd been shouting my mouth off for you know a week or so yeah i want to do this do that or for weeks actually um get down this alley there's a probably about five wk members just sitting there on a bong smoking hash so they were like stoned and like monged out anyway and then someone someone see him was like seven sevens that was my street name they're like seven set it set it and then i was just like i'd picked up a piece just a lump of concrete and i looked at the guy in front of me and he was a graffiti writer that i knew and that i was all right with him but i was with my gang so i had to I just started hitting him around the head with a piece of concrete. Um, he was screaming, nah, nah. And then crazy Steve just pulled out his tool that his dad had made and started hitting some boy around the head with it. And then the Battersea boys started stabbing people in the legs and ar um, arse and stuff. And then everyone just scattered in different directions. Me and crazy Steve got out of there. When we was well out of the area, he pulls out the tool and looks at it. And on the end of the screws, there was bits of flesh and hair. Um, we got back to base in Malden, and that was when I became like I'd I made made my decision. That was it. I felt like I was with my my brothers, my crew. I just felt like I was I, I was something. Like I went from a bullied kid trying to show off into a violent violent person. Yeah. yeah, and reading the book, there was an altercation with Somalis. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the Somali gang. That story. The Somali gang from South Wimbledon. Uh, so me and um, my friend Bath, Joe, we was we were just tr troublemakers. Like, Malden's our town now. Um, we had WZ sprayed all over the walls. So this, we was marking out a territory. We, there, back then, there weren't a lot of CCTV, but there was a cancel CCTV. There was something like 12 cameras. Uh, so we knew where each camera was. This was this is our base. This is our home. Like If someone comes here, we're going to just random kids. We're going to just attack you or confront you for being in our area. Don't understand how kids, you know, why you're trying to claim this. But we felt like we were something. This is This is our life. This is our home. So we're just off of the high street. There's a row of houses and there's a girl there called Gemma that she used to hang around with us sometimes. We would always have like beef and, you know, slanging matches with her. And then there was two Somalian boys on the doorstep. Um, they were from South Wimbledon. We sort of knew one had confrontations before and they were older and they were row like rowdier. They were ready. And then we're like cussing Gemma and they're like giving it to us. But our friend, little Adam, lived around the corner and he was like a collector of like weapons. 
all sorts of shit like nunchuckers, machetes, swords. So we're just like, we want not going to use them, but we're going to little one. Like, give us a, give us a, give us a sword, give us a shit. We just walk down. We're like, yeah, what, what? And then the Somalians are like, they, they know that they can beat us physically, but then we knew the intimidation straight away. Pull out the machetes and stuff. They run. We're so reckless. Oh, little Adam's dad's coming home from work. He put just, what the fuck? <laughs> Jumps out of the car, takes the swords and that off of us. He's fuming. And we just go on our way, right? So we're just hanging around alleys and and stuff in Malden, drinking. We've just oblivious to like what we had just done. It was just like the normal uh, madness. And then we're walking along. Actually, I split up with Bath. He goes one way in Malden. And I'm going some long way, like 20 minutes to get back round to the high street. I'm with little Adam someone phones my phone or like it's like 51 10s back then sometimes like the somalian boys they're in um they're in Malden, they're looking for you yeah so we're like oh shit like let's go down some back alleys and like have a little sneak to look down to the high streets so me and little adam walk around go up this alley and then we look right can't see them we walk a bit further then we see them they're coming down the high street they're about 15 they're like men yeah and 50 of them about 15, 15 about 15 they're like men right um and we like little boys. I'm like, oh, fuck, right? So we run back, run back down the alley. But for some reason, we don't run on down the alley and get onto this road and go. We do another side alley, which is a dead end, the corner of the Morden Tube Depot and the back of some restaurants. And we're like, oh, fuck, like, shit. Um, we can't, like, step out now. We're standing there thinking, oh, they're going to come down here. They're going to come down here. I just look to the alley. This Somalian guy walks past. He literally just looks at us, goes, and it bangs. And then we're like, they're there. And we're in a dead end, yeah? I swear down, if it wasn't for quick thinking, we would have been killed. They had tools, weapons in them. Would have been killed. I just saw about that much of a door open, yeah? I just ripped the door open. I'm in the back of an Italian uh, restaurant. The chefs and that are in there. People having their lunchtime menu. I'm like, little Adam just follows me. Just run through the restaurant, past the people that are eating on their lunch breaks and that. Smile, like 15 smilings, charging at us with um, <laughs> bats and poles and shit. <laughs> right, and then we just rip the front door open and I'll just start running, run round into Iceland. And this is where like, fuck, security hated us in Iceland because we were always robbing and stealing. He's like, get the fuck out. But we just ran past him. We're up, we've gone into the storeroom. Only a couple of the smiley boys ran through and into the storeroom to try and get us. Like We're hiding out there. That he goes. And then I look out through the window. And at the same time, some WZ members from Stockwell and Brixton, they had just got off of the um, tube. And then, and then all of a sudden, I see Bath walking across the road like this. Not I don't even think he knows anybody's about then. Bang, he's getting rushed. We run out and our Stockwell boys... I'm charging across the road and their numbers are evened up. Like all the pub geezers come out, they're drinking their beer, cheering. All tra- all traffic come to a standstill, and that was it, man. There was carnage, man. There was carnage. We like out somehow outweighed them and people bottles. Like, I mean, like I was getting my hand bottled by my own friends. Like, I'm punching and my hand's getting bottled. All of a sudden, and, uh, little Adam's walking along, a smiley guy smashing around the head with a brick. He's out cold on the floor. A car pulls up. Little Adam's brother-in-law, a lot older, big man, and crazy Steve jump out with baseball bats, yeah? Come charging. And then it was just like, bang, bang, bang. People drop into the floor. And then the the 
the uh, little Adam's brother-in-law just scooped him onto the shoulder, threw him in a car. They were off. And yeah, it was crazy. There were sirens going off, like shop alarms, people setting the shop alarms off and everything come to a standstill. And we all ran off. We climbed into Malden Tube Depot. was hiding there. And then, yeah, a lot of people went um, to hospital and about five people went to prison. Only one of the Smiley guys went to prison. Four WZ members went to prison for that. It was The charge was violent disorder. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get to the Satanism of Crazy Steve, Dan, there was a woman, young woman, who told you she got pregnant. Oh, yeah. Her mum ends up getting stabbed later on by somebody. Yeah. Just want to set the scene for that one, how you met that girl. Um, I would have just met um, Danielle. I'd have just met her just from around the local streets, just like me, like just on on the street, allowed to do what she wants to do. Um, I'd go out of her from time to time. And then when we would fall out, she'd call me horrible names, yeah, you, you packy and this and that, which really hurt me because all, because I, because you know i just wanted to fit in an uh, english name english upbringing english family and that always got to me so when she would say that i like had a yeah i was chaotic she was chaotic um so yeah danielle she would be with quite a few members uh of the gang and she was on and off girlfriend so you want me to go into yeah yeah go into as much detail as you can yeah so basically um like life's moving on in WZ without stealing, without traveling around the London underground, uh, robbing. And um, Danielle says to me, says she's pregnant, yeah? And then I'm thinking, fuck, I'm probably like 15 or something now. And if I'm going to be a dad at 15, I didn't know how to handle it. It's like, I just, and she comes with this picture of this scan, yeah, baby. And then I'm just like, fuck, I'm actually going to be a dad. Um, and I remember having a scan on me and I was I was coming in or out of Ballam Station. I had a stolen phone on me, brand new in a box, get pulled by the police. They know who I am and that. And then I'm like, they're like, whose phone is this? Obviously, I'm saying it's mine. Someone bought it for me. And then I'm like, look, I'm going to be a dad. And then I show them the picture and they're like, oh, good. They let me go. And they're like, good luck on being a dad and that. Anyway, like the time comes, I know I was saying, I was going, I was fucking mental and I'm saying to Danielle, hey, my kid, you slag all this crap. Get her dad phoning me up. Big skinhead guy. like, And he's going, you fucking, that's my daughter. You got pregnant, you better be a dad. After a while, I was like, Dawn's me right, I'm going to be a dad. So I go to the hospital with Danielle and her mum and I'm sitting there in um like where she had a scan and that and then and then the nurse nurse says like oh you're nine weeks pregnant or 12 weeks i started sitting there thinking like calculating out the dates and stuff thinking nah something came right here you know? <laughs> work out nah the date, and she's looking at me like this her mum ain't got a clue what's going on and she knows and then i find out it's her first scan so i'm like well so who's who the fuck is this other kid in the scan right anyway I lived on the same road as the hospital, yeah. I steamed out of the hospital. I was like, well, I like, hurt. Like, I ain't going to be a dad at 15. <laughs> and then I walk home. Like, no one's home. My mum's at work and I'm just sitting in the house. I, like, find a bottle of my mum's red wine. I'm just drinking the wine all day, really charged up and angry. About five o'clock, I look out the window and I'm like, that's Danielle and her mum pulling up in the car. I'm like, fuck actually got some decency they're gonna um, come and apologize to me yeah <laughs> they get out of the car they cross over the road and they go to my mate um ashley's house 
<laughs> and it was fucking Ashley's baby the whole time. So, hmm. yeah. Then right. later on, uh, the mum ended up getting stabbed. How did that yeah. come about? Um, it's quite a difficult one to talk about. I'll, t I'll talk about it, but um, always a touchy one. So me and Danielle, we're still on and off. Like I forgive her for saying uh, she did. She got rid of the baby in the end, um, and then um, said that she only wanted it if it was mine. And then we're still on and off. And then I think it was um, say New Year's Eve. Me, Bath, um, another guy, and my cousin Tony. We were. We got served, we was getting served in this pub. Bear in mind, I'm probably 15, 16, getting served in this dodgy pub in Two Inn. And um, me and Joe decided to go off to his house. And we're both drunk and we charge up, we're trying to impress each other. And we start punching, like breaking holes in his like cover, his wardrobe and stuff, right? And then he gets out a razor. This was probably the first time I self harmed. And he starts cutting his arm with a razor. I start cutting my arm. And we're like blood brothers now. And it's like, charged up covered ourselves in blood and then we're like right because we was always acting crazy and like this psychology this like gang psychology is you've got to be sick and you've always got to be like people got to be scared you always got up the craziness so now it's like we're looking in the mirror and we're both covered in blood we both have shaved heads and stuff we're covered in blood and we're just sitting on a the bus there's people all dressed up going out for new year's eve and we're just sitting there we start making our way to Tooting and we're seeing little gangs, little groups of different gangs going out, which we knew could absolutely batter us and and attack us, um, like batter us in a fight. So we were, because we were covered in blood, we were going over to them with our hoods up so they couldn't see our face. Like, what? What? And then they're like, what? Like they, 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 and then because there's only two of us and we're like small. And then once you pull the hood back and they see the blood and then they're like, they, they just don't know what to do, right? So um, the night was set for something really dark and disturbing to happen. And we go back to this pub where um, we're meeting Tony and Keith. I think I called him Keith. I need to be careful. I think I called him Keith in the book. Um, so Tony and Keith are there. They see us walking with the blood. And I was like, what the, what's going on here? Um, so the mood was set. I was like, right, there's a party in uh, Rose Hill. Let's let's head to this party. Um, start heading up to this this party, and the night's just ticking on. It's probably about I don't know, maybe like twelve, one in the morning, and um, Keith's got a knife on him, and we walk down this road, and I can see a big couple of guys, um, and I can see Danielle screaming at them. She's down there, screaming, yeah, my boys are here now. You're gonna get these men come running out of nowhere smash a bottle over Bath's head um, and we all run in different directions. Meet up down the high street, probably about 20 minutes later, all regrouped, Danielle's there, Bath's like, like pushed her, like, you fucking got me bottled. And then um, I'm like to her, look, let's fucking go away. Let's, let's call it a night, right? So take Danielle and her friend with me. We start walking up the road. We sit down on this wall I don't. I didn't know that Danielle had phoned up her mum. I look up the road. There's a car coming to us, screaming, screeching. Pulls up. She's obviously pissed up. It's um, New Year's Eve. Get in a car, Justin. Get in a car, Danielle. We're going to fucking get him. And then I'm thinking, I ain't going to get him. That's my cousin, my mate Bath, and and another friend, right? So um, I'm like, nah, nah. I'm staying here, right? 
staying here. Um, so I'm just sitting on this wall. Danielle and her friend get in the car with the mum. They drive off. I'm just sitting there, just like drained from the night. Um, phone starts ringing. Justin, come down, run down. Uh, my mum's been stabbed. My mum's been fucking stabbed. I'm like, oh my god, what the what's happened, right? I start running down, put about a 10 minute run, get down there. Danielle's mum's on the floor. She's been stabbed. What I learned is that she jumped out the car, um, just started attacking uh, Keith. And where he's high on ecstasy and fucking alcohol and whatnot, he's just pulled out a knife and he stabbed stabbed her. I can't remember how many times he stabbed her, but um, yeah, she she was taking the ambulance. I went to hospital with her uh I went to hospital with Danielle, which weren't too far away, and uh, her mum obviously survived and whatnot. Uh, the family's really upset. Dad's all crying and stepdad's all crying. Like, they stabbed my, stabbed my wife, they stabbed my wife. I, like, I just couldn't understand what was going on. It was, yeah, bad, bad time. And then um, Keith ended up getting a life sentence for that. Um, and they put Baff away for like they were trying to do him for like gbh gbh sent for just pushing danielle they obviously they've brought him in because of the seriousness of the stabbing but eventually he got um that case got thrown out against him and then about two three months after that uh bath was found dead in our in our manor um and then yeah that just really really just sent me to to rock bottom i was in felton at the time phoned up phoned up his number so I'd call him up all the time and then a different person answered I've been phoning the house for years and it would be his mum his sister's brother it was a different voice and um there was like uh 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 Beth, like Joe's not here and then someone else got on the phone like Joe's dead he was found um dead in our manor so I can't go too much into the details of how he was found and whatnot but it was always sort of classed as a as a suspicious death so yeah i came out to to that confusion and all, all the other craziness that went with it so the satanism of crazy steve came yeah. before felton yeah. how did that what happened there so um so like the wz mentality was i don't even know if we would talk about it but it would just happen it was we always had to outdo each other on the craziness like the the sickness um the violence escalated and you always had to like gain uh respect and status within the gang so then crazy steve it just come naturally to him like if his dad made him that weapon he was in a violent um household he ends up running his own dad out the house doesn't he yeah yeah so at one point um when like he's with us he's found wz we're his family we're his brothers it was like started like terrorizing his dad and his dad became scared of him and he kicked his dad out of the house i remember his dad knocking on the door trying to get back in and that but he weren't allowed in even though i, I really liked brendan it was good he was always good to me but him and him and um crazy steve obviously had the differences and he was out and then there was a group of a group of um kids probably from the ages of 14 to 16 and we we're just li basically living in the house and then um crazy things were going downhill and crazy steve started like worshiping the devil i don't really know how you worship the devil but 
when you're that age and you're sitting there smoking like it was hash at the time, smoking hash, you're taking ecstasy, you're drinking and your mind's all over the show. A lot of disturbing things are happening out on the streets and you're vulnerable. And then Crazy Steve's like doing all of that, this Ouija boards and this self-harm and this um, drawing all these fucking witchcraft signs and all these stars and going like to graves and taking people's gravestones and making shit out of gravestones and a lot of disturbing things had happened he would like convince us that there was demons and that in each other's in gang members in the in the room so when we was like you know two in the morning on a come down from ecstasy and then i remember one day two wz boys one of them just started crying out of nowhere and then he just started attacking another one and then like and crazy steve's there it's not it's not bothering him he's just basically saying yeah that's this demon and he'd have a say like a name for the demon and that's in that boy and it's and there's a spiritual war going on forces going on and then you're just sitting like what the fuck's going on and then i would go home i'd be like walking home like obviously i had people after me and that anyway so i was always on edge and after smoking loads of hash and stuff going home and like my shadows like follow me ah, i'm thinking something's there and then i'd get i'd get home and um, my cat, or my mum had a cat, and he would just be sitting there staring at me. The eye, probably, I didn't even put two and two together, but the eyes, again, it's the cat staring at me. And and then when I was, I said to the crazy, he was like, what can, like, spirits and demons and stuff going, like, animals? He was like, yeah, he's like, there's probably a, a demon in your cat, and it's keeping an eye. And then I was convinced by all of this stuff. And then he started, like, talking in tongues and stuff, like, demonic tongues, and he was running around on all fours, like, going, all this stuff and just like attacking like random people on the street and stuff running around on all fours um and then like the place just started deteriorating it went from like writing a couple of tags on the bedroom wall to i mean like sick and blood splatters and like girls self-harming and drinking each other's blood and stuff it was like it fucked up a lot of people's lives that what went on in in that um in that house the house of horrors is called in the book yeah um, and yeah, I saw Crazy Steve when his dad was there. Um, his dad's drinking partner started like having a go at Crazy Steve, and he just come into the room with a machete. I'd got him a machete from one, it's from someone else. I stole it from another WZ member. Like, here's like a, a toy for you. And then he came in with the machete, just like just went for the guy's head. The guy see him last second, just gone out. He chopped through like the man's tendons, like disabled his arm see him do some yeah some dark and terrifying terrifying stuff do you manage to get the weapon back off him then i did yeah, yeah i got the weapon back off him i think i got it off him and then i threw it um yeah i threw it near near the white bridge there was a bridge nearby and we threw the weapon but then years or not years months later we got it back but he used to sit in a room like just spinning it around his fingers like this and um what was happening at the time, there was a dare called a rise and choke. So it was like this little dare, you smoke a bit of like weed or a hash, and then like you basically you stand against a wall and a friend, a friend, yeah, would strangle you. Right, a friend would put his hand, one one would strangle you like that, and the other would press your stomach in so that it's the smoke's held there and then you blow out and then you're like literally just like collapsing on the floor. It went from a dare till near enough every few pulls we were having on the bong, we're just all sitting there just strangling us. I once strangled myself so much. I just, I, I fucking, I knocked myself out and just woke up on the floor. Yeah, some dark, dark times there. 
So you're spending more time at Steve's and the gangs now, there's like a merger taking place. And then yeah. they have an agreement where you're going to go and meet some of oh, them. Yeah. But you decide to sabotage the merger. Yeah. So what, what was the trick you pulled there? Well, um, WK were doing their own thing in their borough. They had grown. There was some hard people, tough kids and that in it. Um, and there was an idea of WZ joining WK or we joining each other. And it was going to be called WKZ. And I didn't like how the K was coming before the Z. Um, and when I saw Bath and like my cousin Tony and that going to like join them and they're having this big meetup and stuff. So they had this meetup. I wasn't coming. I, I wouldn't feel safe with them anyway. And then WZ, we, we weren't going to join. Um, so they would meet up and it would just be carnage. Like 30, 40 kids just steaming shops and steaming parties. I mean, like little kids obviously because not the, the amount of numbers but like beating up um bouncers at the party and the police come and they do i think it's a code red because there's just kids like literally rioting in this party wkz took over this party in mitchum um but yeah i never wanted to be a part of it and bath had promised wk guys like a couple of their top guys that they come to our area Malden that they'd be safe and stuff but when I clocked onto it, he told me and he said, do not tell Crazy Steve because <laughs> he knew what Crazy Steve was like. Um, so, yeah, I just I went round to Crazy Steve's at the house of ours in the morning. We had a bottle of vodka drinking it and then he's pissed up, like already charged up. And then I've said to Bath on the phone, I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, I'll just meet up with you lot. And then like he's walking into Maldon with these WK guys. And then all of a sudden, Crazy Steve walks around the corner and just Bath's face just dropped because he knew what was going to happen. But yeah, Crazy Steve just started attacking the guys and that was it. They were fuming. The, the truce or the link up, the combination of crews was, was done there. There and then <laughs> so there was another crazy in your boat you got crazy buster and the bolly boys yeah that was um that was the story i told you about on the young offender unit in okay. in um in high down okay where he was singing out the window to slagging off people's mums and whatnot and so how did you first get arrested then for young offenders well um for we go into the end of the book where um, I get the bigger prison sentence or we go... Um, Let's start with the first sentence. Oh, the first sentence. Yeah. So um, Baff and I think Baff and Nemza, they had been hanging around with some DDS guys, the graffiti crew that I told you about from North... They were f these guys, the guys that they were with were from North London. And they told me about how they robbed someone like the DDS guy showed them what to do. Like they went up, they just caught, it was called jacking back then. So you go up and jack someone, take their stuff. And then Bath and Nems have come back to Malden and they earned probably like 15, 20 quid each or something. And like, yeah, we've done a street robbery. And then I was just like, what street robbery? I was, I think I was, yeah, I was 14 because they waited for me to turn to 15 till I go, then I could be putting Felton for it. And then, um, don't know what it was inside me, but I was like, I want to do a street robbery. So we're out on the trains Baff and Nems, they weren't really on it, but there was this guy, he had loads of gold on. He was around the same age as us. He had a gold bracelet, chain on, and I was just a skinny little kid. like. Um, and I was, went up to him, I was like, trying to impress my older friends. Like, take your fucking gold off, give me a... And then he was just like, fuck off, mate. <laughs> like, and then I was just like... <laughs> 
And then I was just thinking, like, I didn't know what to do, right? So we, we all got onto the train together. And then we used to break into the emergency cabin on the train where there would be sores and first aid boxes and like mini ladders and stuff in case of a, like a big emergency on the train. So I just ripped open the emergency cabin. Bath and Nemza saying to the boy, I was fine, blah, blah, blah. But they had told me about this robbery and I wanted to do one. I just found a saw and then I just like ran down the train. I just put the, put the saw up to him and was like, give me a fucking chain and that. Give me a fucking chain. He took his chains and stuff off and he like give them to Bath and Nemza. And then we jumped off of the train and I threw the saw down the railway track. Went off. I probably sold like 400 pound chain for something like 20 quid or something. Yeah, one of them. Then we went into um, a pawnbroker's the next day. And we were in the like, because Baff looked the oldest, he's trying to pawn the gold. And then we're just trying to not look bait with our hoods up and our basal caps to the sides and that. And then um, the boy that we robbed walks in with someone that knows me from school. That was it, man. Went home. I was like, that's it. Like, I think British Transport Police raided the house probably a couple of days later and then I just like went on a run, jumped out the window and I, and I was gone. But yeah, I went to Felton for that. I, got, I only got four months. They wait till last 15. I got four months in um, Kingston Crown Court. And looking back now, four months is a joke. You're doing two months, you're doing eight weeks. But to a kid that's never been away from his family, like, and I thought I was this big, hard kid around my community. I got the shock of my life and I walked into Felton and it was just like, kids from like had them issues with my race and stuff i never knew any asian people i walk in and they're just like ghetto um tamil boys sri lankan tamil boys ghetto bengali boys from east london there's travelers there's african somalians english like and it was just like whoa like some big culture shock and i just got bullied and like terrorized from the start can you take us through your first day the first day, like, I'm sitting there, like, I, I, I'm a kid here, but I look back looking like a right div, right? I'm I'm there in, like, a shirt and tie and and, and um, some nice trousers that my mum's got me for my court day, and I get taken to this prison van. I don't even know what a prison van is, right? And then there's, like, some ghetto kids in there, like, in their tracksuits and stuff, and they'll bang it away. Like, just shout me, and I am just shitting myself. Take me to Feltham, go for this big, door and then i think the van turned around on this like circle thing and then you go through and then straight away you, you that never leaves you the first sound of prison like screaming shouting echoing and then like the buzzing of the walkie talkies like the screws and then you're going through and then they're just like giving you've got to get your clothes and they're just doing it for a laugh like this big guy giving gonna give me my clothes i'm like probably a size 26 waist or something or 28 waist he gives me like a 36 or something so straight away i'm having to use a shoelace to like tie it together they give you odd shoes like yeah and it was just it was just it was confusing but i had put myself in that situation do you know what i mean but it was gonna toughen me up and harden me up but felt and back then was it was horrible i i would was one of the smallest in there and i happened to work on the servery serving up the food with one of the biggest guys in there so it was like little and large and it was it was when officers like screws they would still use like racist slurs and stuff so i was called little ladle and big and i was with big ladle so that was right like slang for little spoon 
and Big Spoon, Little mm. Coon, Big Coon. Like mm. they could openly use that language and that back then. And this was the time when um, I wasn't in film at the time. I literally just got out. And that's when Robert Stewart, um, who was like a known racist, um, violent guy, battered um, Zahid Mubarak to death in his cell. Um, and it was, you know, there was things I don't actually know what exactly happened, but there was always stuff in the press and rumors and inquiries and inquests that the prison officers there would put certain prisoners in cells together for a laugh to see if it would kick off and stuff. And they call it gladiator wars. And yeah, that's basically how harsh Felton was that that Robert Stewart just battered Zahi to death in his sleep. Battered, he was getting out the next day as well. I just battered him to oh, death with so like sad. a table leg or something. Yeah, it was it was a scary place, and I I went came out of there more definitely more damaged than it was just a, it was just a start a start of the cycle. It was weird. Like one day I must have got it was probably more than sixteen letters, but I got about about sixteen letters from kids around my local borough, school kids and stuff that heard seven oh six sevens is in prison and it was like fan mail. And to a kid that never felt like wanted or loved or accepted and problems with my race and stuff, it was like, oh my God, I'm getting like people was like worshipping that a kid had gone to fucking prison. Like but to me it was like, well this good. So I I come out of prison and even though I got bullied in there I didn't tell anybody that. Do you know what I mean? I come out and then there's girls all wanted to be with me and I was like proper infamous and that around the local schools and stuff. And then just like that, you are just sucked straight back into that cycle and it just fucking, you can't get out of it. So you talked about going in, just go to back, going yeah. back a bit. You're at reception, they give you these clothes that yeah. are too big for you. And then is that all that happens in reception or did more stuff happen? No, that's about... That's about it in reception. And then where do they send you next? Is it like a dorm or a cell? You got cellmates? Yeah, they they put me in a cell. Um, this guy, I I didn't even know where I was. Like, I literally didn't know where I was. I didn't know what Felton was. I was just put into this cell with this older guy. He was nice to me. He gave me some tobacco and stuff and was trying to, like, break down what it's like and that. And then the next day, I was moved onto, yeah, onto a unit. So you was in, like, a two-man cell with this yeah. guy. And how, what does a unit look like? A Felton unit was is it's not like a like a adult prison, um, sort of the same layout as the young offender unit in Wood Hill, but it was small. I think there was probably about thirty cells. There was all to one side. There was like three landings, so you might have ten cells, another ten a landing. There might have actually been two landings. I can't remember, but um, and then you would have like the office below and a little area where you could play pool and stuff. Yeah. And then you said you get to this place now, you're shitting it. And have you got a new cellmate in this place? No, it was in single cells. Oh, there. single cells, sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, how did it come about that you started to get bullied in there? Um, just because I, I was little, like you'd have the, the slang for it or the names, it was little man. You'd have little man, big man, tall man, skinny man. Mm. It was like, yes, yeah, so a little man, like everyone just wanted a piece of me, wanted to take my stuff, wanted to like give me the sly dig and punch and that here and there. And, and I just, who, who was just, the first person to come and try and take your stuff? A guy called, who was just called Paddy, but there was loads of Paddies in there. Um, he was just like, so just, just an horrible, horrible bully. Just come in, took my stuff. You would, because I was, I think, 15 and you couldn't buy 
tobacco but i think i think you could buy tobacco at 16 or somehow we had tobacco over there i'd get my tobacco somehow through an older kid and then come in my cell start hitting me to take my tobacco and i'm just start scared stiff couldn't do nothing about it couldn't do nothing about it mm. so did you f make alliances with people in there that enabled you to reduce any of that no not really because it was only eight weeks it literally just it just yeah it just disappeared flowing yeah. and then and then and then i was back out on the street and the guards did they come in and beat you up or anything no nah, no nah. okay yeah so you do eight weeks in there this is now you've got this like hero status on the streets. yeah so now that's causing you to slip back into bigger crimes is it um it was the start of like the school didn't want me back there um why do I even I didn't even do anything wrong at school, but why do they want a kid that had been into Feltham? So I was on the streets and I didn't want to be in school anyway. And then when you say on the streets, are you yeah. living on the streets now? No, uh, no, we, well, got your parents. We literally, we, we would literally not go home. It was just, it was where's the next cotch? Cotch was where you're just going to chill out, hang out, sleep and stuff. So, but where there was the graffiti side of it, we would, we would sleep in um, train depots, tube depots you wouldn't sleep in because of the cleaners at night but we'd sleep in train depots um bus depots uh and the railway for me the railway being on the railway tracks at night the trains are finished you're you're safe yeah so you've got people after you you're in you're in central like central london you're in clapham you're in like busy tough areas and you're a little you're a little boy yeah there's like pedophiles and nutters all sorts of people out on the street that can get you right um so you would climb out climb onto a railway which felt completely comfortable there and that's where you were safe it was literally just you and the foxes you see the odd fox run past or appear and you'd be yeah just walking down the railway tracks and that, that's your safety if you're going to go from one area you know it's one area to another area and you can work out that train line will cut me off being on the streets where it's dangerous so you're you're basically there, yeah. So how are you making money now? Um, we started stealing like petty stuff, stealing phones. Stopped the street robberies. Well, saying that I was convicted before uh, later on for robberies, but we stopped the like going out jacking people. Um, that was you was laughed at that crime in prison. Um, you know, robbing like you go up to a random person, you don't even know if they've got money on them. You try to take the money, and you, you're gonna get nicked and go to prison, right? So that went out the window, and then we started going into, um, like estate agents. Someone would go and ask for like, um, like uh, what properties were were to let to get a bit of paperwork on it. Who's gonna believe some like snotty little kid in a hoodie and that? But someone would do that, distract them, and then we'd nick the phone or the laptop, and we would literally travel around the London Underground doing that. Um, and then we'd come back to the area, we'd have like a kebab shop or an off license where the guy would buy the phones and stuff cheaper. One day, so we oh actually we built up this thing like called like baiting it up. Um, it was it's called distraction theft or distraction burglary, but we just called it baiting up. So I'd say to my mate, bait it up. Like I've seen something in the shop, bait up. He's got to go and distract that person. I come in, steal it, or the other way around. One day, someone, some uh, a shopkeeper was off the counter. One a friend went round, just got this little box. No one even noticed. Gone down the road, opened up the box. There's top up cards in there. Uh, for pay-as-you-go top-up cards when they were like scratch cards. So there was like this old school like BT Cellnet and one-to-one. -one. Um, and they would, uh, 
so say you could buy a 10 pound top up card they would come in like say packs of 200 so it'd be a little plastic wrapper around it and there'd be like 200 pounds worth of 10 pound top up cards in there and um Ram around the corner, open it up, we're like, fuck, take it to off license. Guy's been buying phones. He's like, what? Give you half the money. So, say there was like £400 worth there, that's £200 in your pocket. And then it just developed into that's that's our way of making money. Um, we became experts here. And the, the most money, the most top up cards are in tough areas like Hackney, Peckham, like places in North London, Harlem, where there's big off licenses with a lot of people coming in so they've got a lot more top of cars but the shops also run by like you know like turkish guys kurdish guys like shopkeepers are not gonna fucking have it you're not in a little shop in the country um and yeah like the confrontations the fights you're getting locked into the shop things are getting smashed you're running out the back of their house trying to get like back of the shop and it turns the house you're trying to get out of the shop um but yeah that just that just basically became it so the top-up cards you you'd walk say say um one london underground stop to the next so it might take 15 20 minutes and you'd look through each shop window there'd probably be advertisements on the window but little gaps and you'd look behind the counter and you'd see say a petty cash box or a cigar box or an ice cream box a little tub and it would have top of sometimes it would even have cash in so that was it man we we was well, they I, th- I do think that they stopped top up cards because of wz and the amount of thefts of of them, yeah. How many times did you get locked in? Oh, loads of times got locked So if you in. get locked in, can you give us an example of how you get out? Um, well, get locked in, you, you, your mate's trying to get you out, but obviously he wants to get away as well. It's yeah. like the, oh, the ones that got... Windows would get smashed, bottles would get thrown, it, it would just get thingy. Like, Give you an example of going out brew raising. Brews, brew is obviously alcohol slang. Brew raising is ra- raising is stealing. So graffiti writers, we'd have big bulky jackets even in the summer and we'd push the spray can up our sleeve. So you could push a few spray cans, but spray can obviously the same shape as a can of beer. So we'd go up, right, let's go brew raising. It's like a group of adults going on a pub crawl, right? So um, we start off, we went up, We, me and a few guys, we went up to Cheem um and we'd always have a stereo with us listen to our music when we're pissed up and stuff um and obviously you've got to keep on stealing batteries the batteries are huge because right? they run out like day and they've run out um so go into the shop start stealing alcohol one of my mates gets locked in um i think cousin tony picks up the lottery sign you know like the swinging sign outside the shop it's like smashing in the window to get him out they open the door to get my cousin tony he runs they get the lottery sign i'm outside my mate gets free and he just smashes me with lottery sign i'm on the floor he's like hit me lottery sign my cousin tony comes over with the bloody stereo smashes it over the guy's head batteries going falling out and then they're throwing batteries at the guy to get him off anyway we're so drunk we don't run we just start walking off to the next shop about 15 minutes down the road um this is me having wars with like bloody asian shopkeepers and that probably all to do with that stuff in my early childhood all like and they're just men trying to earn a living and we're just little shit scumbags coming in just trying to take what they've they what they've paid for and earned anyway we go on 
walk into this other shop unaware that obviously the police are probably dealing with down 15 minutes down the road going to the shop start nicking some more alcohol um and i'm like to my cousin tony let's bogart some cig- cigarettes bogart that was slang term for grabbing sang and just running so i'm like can i get full cigarettes please mate he puts it down my cousin tony grabs them and just runs out of the shop like i'm acting like i don't know him and then my mate's a bit too slow he's still at the fridge um stealing alcohol and he goes to walk out and a man can't get he don't think i'm with tony he can't get tony but he grabs my other mate um because of tony's stolen the cigarettes my mate just picks up a bloody bottle of red wine and just smashes it over his head and then obviously there's blood you don't know what's blood and what's red wine he gets away we just start fucking running now cut down a few back roads and then we're like right we're probably in a different town now and then it's like right let's go um walk into tesco's yeah we just must be absolutely out of it not realizing the trail of destruction behind us walk into tesco's just start like playing football with a melon or something like that right we don't think anything of it and we're just like pissed up we've left tesco's now we're walking over towards the tesco's petrol garage and i was just like hanging around like this look around and then the security guard from Tesco's, we don't even know, he's followed us from across across the car park and he's got my friend um, Lend, he's got him in a headlock and like Lend's just like laying on the floor like this, like, and on, on the middle of the garage uh, four call and then the security guard's like thinking, oh fuck, like these three guys are coming over to me now. And because we used to like always terrorize on the trains, cause havoc, like the graffiti lifestyle and get fire extinguishers, spray them out the window and stuff. My mate sees a fire extinguisher, thinks it's going to be water, like a water spray, goes over to the security guard in his face, presses it, but it's like a powder. Yeah. So like the powder just like engulfs the petrol garage and just creates like a white um, mist like smoke like thing and then my mates like come loose and he's running then we like running around run down his back roads get down to this bus garage where we're going to sleep for the night and then just from everywhere mate police were there like two different boroughs police were were just there and that was it so is that your next major rest then you're going to do some time for this one we we got what we done we decided that we all sit down this is this is where i i was i was bit more clever than some of my friends we sit down we get we get all get arrested no comments then we sit down and we we're all on bail and then we say right let's split the crimes up yeah let's split them up you you're you stole the cigarettes you done the bottle you threw the batteries you stole the alcohol and then and that's what we done we split up the crimes we went back said he's he's done this everyone admitted for what they done so it weren't like all of us getting done like he's getting done for gbh theft you know, so yeah, we split up and I didn't, yeah, I didn't even get a big time for it, mate. Mine was just stealing alcohol. So you go uh, through that. You've, yeah. not, you've not learned your lesson then. I'm taking no. it. It's going to escalate to something yeah, bigger. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, talk about after Joe, after Bath died. Yeah. Um, at the time, it escalated probably two, three years had passed since being in Feltham. Bath Joe had been found dead in our manor and I was 
in a confused state like what has happened to wz like i was a little kid created this thing just been sucked into this lifestyle for three years i've became this character but now my friend's dead like it's too much for me one wz boy has just got life sentence for stabbing um a girlfriend's mum. another wz boy a wz boy that was there um during the that long brew raising mission where the guy got bottle smashed he just he had just stabbed someone in a fight and killed him and he just got life sentence and then it was just like what is going on like i'm and then in my mind it was like i've got all these wars with these different gangs croydon stratum and stuff but now i felt like i was on my own even though i had a gang now i felt i was on my own because i didn't have joe bath who was like an older brother to me who started it all off with me. So, Have you ditched Crazy Steve at this point? I, don't, I think Crazy Steve might have been on the run or something. He had disappeared or he might have been in prison himself. Um, so I'm carrying a meat cleaver. Like In my mind, it's like, right, you, I've stabbed and stuff, but I've got kids from Croydon. There could be 10 of them coming for me. If I've got this meat cleaver on my waistbound, pull that out, like the majority of them are going to run. So that was what I worked out in my mind. So I've got this meat cleaver on me, having loads of confrontations, um, loads of fights. In Malden, in our town, we would climb up on the roofs. So we're on the tops of like shops like Greg's, on tops of the banks and stuff, and we can look down into the street. We'd be um, we'd be in the back alley and there's someone phone and they say, like Croydon boys there. I've just seen them. They're looking for you, yeah? We're around the backs of shops. We're on the roof now, yeah? We're looking down, looking over, and there's these guys. I know that they're tooled up and they're going to f- come for us. So that was my state. I felt like I was pushed in. I was trapped in, and I started sleeping where Joe had been found dead. And I um, probably slept, you know, sleeping there on and off. Um, and I was just in a mad state, and I drinking loads and it's just like right, i'm gonna just go and rob something like, i just wanted it to end i wanted to be killed or just to kill and just just finish finish wz finish everything so um i was with this guy he weren't really a, a weren't really a friend he was sort of like a tag along guy like a um not really a big member in wz and i was like right let's go on a, i think he was just following me like like um, probably impressed by me at the time. Like, Let's go on a tube, just like rob someone. I'd been done for robbing on the train. Very well known to the police and the British Transport Police, um, the Met Police and the British Transport Police. So I get onto the tube um, and I just know that this is it now. I'm on CCTV, going to get nicked, going to go away for a long time, but I need a breather. There's a guy, he's, Malden's the last stop He's just asleep. The train, we get on. He's the train starts moving north again, gets towards South Women. I go up to him and try to wake him up with the meat cleaver. I don't even know what I'm doing. So I'm not doing it controlled. Like, wake up, like, give me a wallet, give me a wallet. He wakes up. He might have been a bit pissed up, not knowing what's going on. And he just sees a meat cleaver, looks at me, and he just jumps up. And then the blade cut catches him on a chin, cuts him down a chin. And it's only two minutes to each stop. He runs off at south wimbledon runs off screaming and then another guy gets on at the other carriage um a sri lankan guy it was gets on we don't even think of um like getting off or what are we doing rub the blood off on the seat and um 
walk down the carriage and then he just sees me with the meat cleaver and then he uh, my friend goes up to him starts trying to search him and he sees the meat cleaver and he gets up he grabs my um friend and like drags him down into the corner of the carriage and then he's trying to get him and then i'm like oh fuck like um no so i go over trying to help him like get the guy to meet cleave and he spins around he gets me and he's got my hands like that and i'm probably about seven stone it's a big guy and i'm trying to wrestle with him and then he just like threw threw me onto the floor so we're on the floor together and the train just like buzzing through the through the tunnel winging towards collier's wood um and then i just think this is it mate. fucking just take take the fucking meat cleaver just just do me with it just do me i've had enough right he gets the meat cleaver off of, well, he's, yeah, the meat cleaver goes on to, he gets the meat cleaver. My mate's trying to get him off me. And then he gets my mate in the corner now with the, and he's trying to go for my mate with a meat cleaver. I get the fire extinguisher, run down. I start smashing him in the back and head with the meat, uh, with the fire extinguisher. My mate gets free. My mate runs off through the door. He's fucking gone. I turn around and the guy's there and he's just like, bam, bam. Man, just chops me like chops me down the side of the the face there chops straight through my bone i looked down i could just see the white bone just like hanging out pins holding that together chopped me in the elbow and then caught my leg a little bit and i'm like ah please man. so i thought but i was so disturbed i ran out of station up going up the escalators and met up with my mate and then I said to someone, I was like, I said to some random woman, I was like, so I've got something wrong with my face. She was like, you need to go to hospital. It was just opened up like this. Mm. I'm walking down all these back rows, heading up towards Tooting, and I bumped into some like gang that I knew, and they were like, fuck, Sevens, man, what's happened to your face? Oh, bro, look, man. Like, I was actually so disturbed at the time that it was like, yes, look at these wounds. They look good. Anyway, went to the hospital, nicked, didn't see the street again for about four, about three to four years, man, three and a half years or something. So what, what were you charged with at this point? You don't just pull the door open, that's fresh air in. I um I was charged with two two robberies. I yeah, two robberies. It weren't street robberies, it was on the tube, but I got four and a half years each one. But back then you had to serve three years. Um and I got some extra time for you could get extra time and that back then, but there was some it all came out that prisons. So how old are you now when you're getting yeah. charged with these street robberies? I was um I was seventeen. 17. So does that mean you're still going to be young offender yeah. classification? Yeah, back to Feltham. Yeah. Um, Are you a bit more established in Feltham? Yeah, still yeah. Bullied? No, no, I'm not getting bullied anymore. Um, but it's like new paranoia, like, because of the beef that I've been having on the outside. People With the different games. Yeah, yeah. People writing to me saying, mate, you're lucky you've gone away because people's uncles, brothers, like more hardened people, they're, cu- they're coming for you. So... So I, that was, I'm sitting on a bed and that was it. I could like breathe for a bit. And then obviously all the mental health stuff starts coming in. Um, but yeah, I saw the the bully Paddy, um, the one that was like bullying me like a couple of years before. I wish I, I wish I could turn around and say, yeah, like done this, done that. But I looked over at him and he'd give me the double look. He knew it was me. And then I was just watching him, watching him. He looked the other way and then I was just satisfied. It wasn't a story of like, you know, getting all out revenge, but I just knew myself that I had developed like I weren't going to take any shit. So what happens next when you get out of that time, Young Offenders? That was the that was when I got the four and a half years and yeah. I went through all of that dark stuff I talked about at the beginning, the okay. mental health side. Yeah. 
and all outside with the guy that was in for um, murder. And then they said I could go Broadmoor. And, so and, how old are you now when you see the guys in for murder? I was probably about 18, 19. Okay. And then um, I, I somehow get through that prison sentence and then I'm released. Like they didn't give me, um, you know, town visits and stuff because my because I'm so unstable, right? So I've yeah. gone from being in like Alsbury all of them years with all of them killers. I mean, there were some dark, dark people in there. Um, what's that guy's name? Um, Christopher Honeyset. This is just a few people that are in there. Christopher Honeyset was in there. He had um, killed the local vicar which he had i think it was a choir boy killed a local vicar um like chopped him up left parts of him around um eastbourne like near the ledger center and stuff he was in there my friend tracy he had killed um a homeless guy in a park no in a cemetery in east london in bethnal green it was just full of like murderers like cook from newcastle he had snatched an old lady's bag and she uh, fell down at a blood clot and bloody like died a couple of like weeks later um who else was in there and well, i first met like i become friendly with a sri lankan guy um nathan he had he was he was involved in like a tamil killing there was a there, Back then, like Operation Trident for black on black gun crime in the capital, there was uh, the Tamil Task Force because there was a lot of Tamil killings going on at the time. And he had um, killed another Tamil, like a, a Tamil guy, like stabbed him to death in a park in um, North London and burnt his corpse. It was like, fucking, I go from that and all that paranoia and all that shit to being pushed out onto the street. Didn't get on with my probation. I was finding it extremely difficult. I have to go and live back at my mum's house. She's in a new house. She's like, this is your bedroom. <laughs> I'm like up in this room. I'm like straight away. I'm like, what the fuck? Like a wooden flimsy door. Like anyone can come in here and get me. Um, I walk downstairs to go to the toilet. I'm on edge. I'm like building up. Like, I need to go to the walk downstairs. And then my mum's neighbour's there, George, right? And then she's like, oh, this is George. I'm thinking, fuck, who's this guy? Like, is, um, is he one of this? Is he fucking from, like, A Block or something? Like, is he, he's going to do me, right? Getting knives, collecting knives from the cutlery drawer. And in my mind, my mum was a prison officer. Um, George was a, was a, um, like a, an inmate, like a prisoner, someone that's up to no good, even though he wasn't up to no good. It's going to do, like, caused me harm and then i just i was locking myself in i couldn't come out so i was collecting bottles and i was like pissing in the bottles and leaving them like stacked up hidden in the bedroom my mum's calling me a dirty bastard and that for that and but how can you explain how fucked up fucked up you are yeah so do you start to readjust or does it escalate again no it escalates again um my mum's got a new boyfriend i didn't like him i threatened to stab him and i threatened to stab my mum and she was just she was shitting herself like when i look back how fucked up i was i didn't realize i was so agitated i had that murderer in my head 24 7 i could not relax like if i walked down the road and someone looked at me the wrong way it was like fucking it's gonna go off like you're right mate 
And then the guy's like, what do you mean? You're, you're all right, mate. And then it's like that. And it was just that guy, that killer's eyes, walking around the corner just staring at me. Mm. It was that in my head constantly. And no one knew why my mood was like that. So I'd threatened to kill my mum's boyfriend and threatened to kill her. I just went mental. Like the world, in my mind, the world owed me for going through that shit in prison when it was all my all my doing. I put myself there. Um, so then I just started living on the... Started sleeping in a local bus garage again, you know, years later after coming out. And um, my probation officer got me a place at this hostel and it was all like ex-offenders or people that had just come out. So I walked into the hostel and it was like, nah, I ain't staying here. It was, um, you know, different in my mind, different, different um, prisoners. So, um, yeah, I was basically staying on the street. And did you get arrested again? Um I got arrested because I was meant to sign sign on for the hostel for a place to live, but I couldn't explain that. It reminded me too much of pris- a prison environment. So instead of signing the paperwork to get a permanent place there, I started staying on the street and I went and stole a BB gun, which looked like a real gun from a, from a market stall. And I was walking around with it on my waistband. Police tra- come to pull me up and I ran threw the uh, BB gun over some scaffolding, got arrested, and I went to, I was got put in Wandsworth prison for for a few weeks. And even though I was on license, yeah, I, that somehow they didn't put two and two together that I was on license, so I didn't get recalled. Uh, this is probably months later after I got out. So I was out again, and then I was just basically trying to be not trying to be because I was a violent person, but I saw no hope for me being in a normal nine to five world with normal people. Um, so I fitted in with obviously the lunatics, the maniacs, the robbers and everybody. So I just went into that lifestyle of just, I wasn't a gang member anymore. I wanted to be like a gangster. Or a, I was more just a violent, fucked up young man. Um, and then the last violent incident I got arrested for, um, I was in a club. There was quite a lot of stuff going on at this club because it played R&B and rap. So it would attract a lot of like rival gangs and stuff from around South London. I think um, just absolute drink and me don't mix. I haven't drank for years now. Um, but that evil person comes out and i'm in the club and i'm thinking yeah this is my manner thinking i'm just just a young stupid mindset come out of the club some guys are giving it i'm thinking like i ain't scared of these guys i've been in gangs prison whatever so confrontation starts and i just run towards them hit one and then 14 of them because it was 14 because it was on cctv right so 14 of them start steaming me but 14 people can't get one person there's no way you know they've got to take it it's all like people moving back and forth so i'm there my hands over the head and i'm just getting hit and when you get hit in the head it's like a flash like the way i could describe it is like you know an old tv which just locks off and just goes like fuzzy fuzzy black white and gray dots so you're getting hit and you're seeing these flashes and then there was this voice in my head saying why is it going on so long? Why is it going? And then it was just like, it like the last attack has come off of me. 
And I'd always trained myself being out on the streets. When a gang comes and you haven't got a weapon, you find a bin. You know, nine times out of ten, you just throw that bin over and a glass bottle will fall out of the bin. You get that bottle, you've got your weapon to defend yourself, right? So about five seconds after the last attack had come off me, I stumble this way and I grab a bin, throw it on the floor. And then 13 seconds after the last attack I got off, I got a bottle and in one move and I pick it up and just hit off the side of the wall. So I got, and then I just walk up to the crowd. It wasn't the gang. It was a crowd of innocent people just watching the fight. And one of them was the DJ from the club, stabbed the DJ in the neck, stabbed oh. another guy in the head. And then that was it. Uh, I'd done it in such a movement. The police that were already there that didn't even do anything when I'm getting attacked um, thought it was a punch because I'd done the bottle and bang like that, bang, bang. Um, so then I find myself in a fucking mental situation where I'm in Sutton Police Station and I'm being arrested for two GBA Section 18s. But I'm concussed at this stage. I don't know what's going on. I don't even know what I've done. I'm pissed up and I'm concussed. Um and I get interviewed the next day. They they bail me for two section eights, section eighteens. I walk out and my car's gone. Like somebody nicked my car. I think that was all I had was I had a smart car, I had a key, smart car key in my pocket, and I just all I had was a weapon before the bottle was just to dig someone in the eye or the face, fight, trying to fight back. So I dropped the key and then some. So I've come out battered in a white paper suit the police took all my stuff and my car's gone as well i was like at rock bottom right mm. i i went home and i was doing really weird stuff like leaving the front door open or like fucking having a breakdown like, oh, there's nothing in my fucking fridge and i couldn't walk to the shop and then i was like what is fucking wrong with me mm. like what like what is going on like I'm used to being beaten up, man. I'm used to being rushed, used to being stabbed. Like, what is going on? And then and then I started having this fucking like pure panic attack coming over me. And it was like, like the first time in my life, it was like, you're used to being stabbed. You're used to being, that, that's not fucking normal. That, that's not normal. And for the first time in my life, I, I was like, whoa, like this is not normal. Violence, you're not being beaten up and it's not normal. So then... That was it, man. I, I went to therapy and then, like, I, was, I saw the therapist. Every, everyone was a threat to me. Like, I saw the therapist as a threat. And then we just, like, she started asking me about my early childhood. And I said, oh, yeah, she's, like, strangled a um, child. Mine is like, it was nothing. She was like, that's child abuse. Like, we started, like, delving deep into my past. And, and then it just, yeah, just started, everything just started dawning on me and making sense. And then at the time... I got charged with the two Section 18s and it was like, fuck, I'm going to go back to jail now. I'm going to have more episodes of this killer and these people, they're going to come after me to post-traumatic stress. That's what the therapist said. I got post-traumatic stress from loads of incidents in my life. Um, and I thought, that's it. But then I started building, becoming stronger, questioning my life, still fucking miles off being like normal. I'd never, I'd never be normal because of the damage and stuff done. Um, but... By the time I went to Croydon Crown Court and pleaded guilty, I'd done a plea bargain, get it down to two GBHs on the basis that the judge will watch me being attacked before he sentenced me. And it, remember, it was only 13 seconds after when obviously two innocent people, which was um, obviously bad and I wish never happened, got hurt. It was only 13 seconds after and I was confused and I was concussed. Uh, it wasn't like two minutes, five minutes after I went down the road and was like, right, I'm going to go back, do these guys. Um 
and then I just got the harshest, harshest prison sent um, community sentence. So I got anger replacement therapy, uh, community service had to pay money to the victims, um, some other stuff. Uh, I can't even, I can't really remember. But um, yeah, I didn't go to prison, and it was because I seeked therapy before I was even charged, not knowing this as well. Before I was even charged, therapist wrote this really good letter on my development and stuff. You know, a year had probably passed before sentencing, and then the the barrister was like look he seeked therapy before he's even been charged with a crime and everything was put in and then that was it i i, I got out but i weren't happy like i was i weren't happy i weren't going away it was just i was just drained but then i just sat there that's when i started writing my book so how old were you then and why did you start writing the book um i was about probably about 23, 23 how old are you now I'm 34 now. Okay, so 10 years ago. What yeah. triggered the book? Um, well, Baff's dad, jo Joe's dad, I met him when I was locked up next to Richard Markham um, in HMP Highdown on the healthcare unit. Met him for the first time um, and he was a tough prisoner. He had done like 30 years in prison and he told me he was writing a book. It was going to be published with Penguin. And then he just inspired me. I thought, like, me, I've I've lived a life and I'm only like fucking 23, 24. I'm going to write a book. So I start, yeah, I didn't realize because I didn't really go to school and stuff. So Razor, that was Baff's dad who wrote the book. Um, he was in Whitemore at the time. Pretty, He went back from Highdown to Whitemore. Started writing him letters saying like, look, I'm going to write a book. And stuff. He said, look, send me three chapters of it sent three chapters of the book and he he said this is brilliant um i didn't have any like i didn't have like have any qualifications anything english didn't do didn't go to school um but somehow i got a raw talent for writing so yeah it's extremely gripping noel razor was on james english podcast we got him on this podcast filming with him again today um we had a guard on the podcast and he was talking about people setting fire to themselves and self-harming oh, and all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, I can tell you some stories about self-harming, man. That's what I was going to ask yeah, you. Yeah, like, because um, that's what I always try. I've wrote little bits and pieces. Like, I break it down a little bit in uh, in my book about healthcare units. So a prison healthcare unit is, it's meant to be for physically ill prisoners, right? So for prisoners comes in injured, whatever, there was... Say there was 30 cells there. There was only two prisoners that were physically ill. Like, um, you know, someone that had a police chase and he's on remand, he's got a broken leg or something. there's a disabled prisoner. But it was usually prisoners are waiting to be sectioned under the Mental Health Act. So they were mentally unstable prisoners. Um, and the self-harm I saw, man, it was like dark... I mean, um, Aussie, Turkish heroin guy, dealer from North London, he had um, swallowed batteries. So, like, he had to be rushed off. They cut his belly open so the mercury don't poison him. Um, Tracy, who actually committed suicide in Belmarsh, um, he would knock on the... On, this is when I was in Owlsbury. Knock on this cell, calling me, Rollins, Rollins, Rollins. And now I go to the door and he's got wounds that have been opened 
time and time and again and he's cut a, a line in his wrist and he's got his fingers in and he's got his ligaments and he's going Rollins Rollins and he's pulling his ligaments and he's like waving at me like this with his pulling his ligaments like that um ward who was on the 24-hour watch sale another time in high down um irish he was an irish traveler he had sliced his neck yeah just sliced his throat like from there to there and they didn't even stitch up they had stapled it somehow back together um there was a guy who was in for murder he had just, just psychopath battered someone to death random person battered them to death with a brick he had from his ankles up to his neck, like not on his hands and not on his face, up up to his neck. He just had the neatest little razor slices. So he would just do like one, two, three, one, two, like his whole body was just a thousand razor slices. Um, yeah, it was, there was people that would, on these healthcare units, they would cut a little hole in her arm, get a, a, an aerial from a radio and push the aerial up into their arm. It was, yeah, the, the self-harm and stuff is just like the, so disturbing, so dark. It's a it's a dark place. A lot of people don't see that stuff in prison. They know it goes on, but they didn't live that sort of prison life, like held on healthcare units and stuff. But it's like, it's, I suspect it's like being held in a psychiatric unit. Maybe even worse because those people are waiting to be uh, sectioned and they're not put into categories. Everyone just thrown together. So I understand this destructive behavior in your life trajectory, the horrendous things that happened early on. How did it make you feel when you first self-harmed? What was that feeling it gave you? Um, I was, it, I don't know, like the pain felt good because I think I hated myself. So the pain would have felt good. Um, just the tearing, that with a razor, it felt fucking horrible. You feel that fucking skin like oh that was horrible painful but like the more like digging and carving with a plastic knife and i felt good it was take it was basically taking the pain out of my mind the mental torture out of my mind and i was feeling in a physical form instead of a mental form so it really put you in the present moment by doing that that pain yeah. focuses you i remember i had the tooth cracked all night long I'm, i can't sleep just to pay that's all i'm focused on yeah it was it was horrible yeah. But yeah. I was completely present. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a, it was like a release, um, a release of tension, build up. Like it would just releasing. You'd you would feel calm afterwards. The pain was still there, but you'd feel calm. But yeah, it's um so looking at my arm and like I've covered my scars with tattoos, but like I'm really conscious of them. Like say I'm on holiday or like even if I got a like a t-shirt on like in the in the light in the sun it would like shut you can see that there's something there and i'm people probably not noticing them but i'm conscious there and it just reminds me like if you're a freak you're a nutter you're, you're horrible past you know what i mean i've got quite a few i've yeah. had a girlfriend who used to drink my blood she, she slashed my arm and put <laughs> the know? blood in a glass of wine uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like the house of horrors <laughs> She said, I'm going to take your power through this. Oh. And that was the peak of everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she did. Oh. So um, you said you hated yourself. Yeah. What is your opinion of yourself now? Like, I'll just be brutally honest, right? I've got a beautiful wife. I've got two beautiful daughters. Um, they're stunning. They're, they, I'm their rock. But I have, like, bad post-traumatic stress still. Still have it to this day. Like, I think... 
I'm like, oh, cured and I'm fine and that, but my moods still go up and down. Um, it used to be, say that I had like a little, say I had a little confrontation. Obviously, I don't put myself in that environment now, but years ago, if I put a com- had a confrota- confrontation with somebody, that person was just got on with their day. They're not thinking about it. I would think about that for two, three days, like that person and I'm going to fucking kill them and whatnot. But so I, I don't obviously have that now, but I have little things just play on my mind. But I find ways to try and cope by obviously going back to my graffiti, doing my art, obviously in therapy, they use art therapy. So heavily into my graffiti and doing my art canvases. And that's when I do graffiti, I'm, I think I'm always agitated, but, um, it takes me away from it for say two, three, four hours. I'm just sort of in, in a zone or yeah, just being around my kids, trying to give a hundred, hundred percent, thousand percent with my kids being a good dad, reading with them, like just being like over the top, good dad to them. So they never go down a path that I went down. And love, love is the most important thing to give them. Where do you, can you do your graffiti at now? Um, loads of walls in London, all, all over, all over England. Loads of um, tolerated places. Uh, You've got, you got semi-tolerated places, say like an old derelict building that someone owns and they don't give a damn that people are going in there doing graffiti and whatnot or like where the skaters are on south bank is that yeah yeah so that's legal but like in in the terms of graffiti it's not really the best you won't you don't well you don't get any props or respect for doing graffiti in legal places it was see graffiti started off in say the late 60s in like the ghettos in new york like bronx brooklyn and it started off with people writing their name and their street number like Mike 171 and whatnot. Then it developed into nicknames, tags, and then painting the subways. And then even back in the 70s, they, they, them kids were getting on the subways and robbing, like robbing each other, robbing paint. And then that lifestyle come to London. And that's that's what you've got respect for within that community. Painting London Underground, painting trains, painting stations. Um, so you didn't really get respect. You don't get respect, but I'm 34. I don't want respect. It's it's um it's for my mind, man. It's for my mental health. Why I'm to WZ and what's your graffiti name these days? Uh, my graffiti name's still the same, 706. Um, and WZ just like I still write WZ next to my thing, but it's more of like I'm leaving the story. Like for me, when I write WZ, it's not like a gang thing. It's like a story. Where it's the, obviously the book, and it? it's like. Because people said to me, other graffiti guys, oh, why don't you start WZ? I was like, nah, it's not really that, mate. It was like, we were a graffiti crew, but then we basically turned into a street gang. But yeah, WZ just dis- just disappeared, man. Everyone moves on with their lives. With all the knife crime that's going on in London now, is it like drug gangs that are dominating now? I don't know. It's, a, it's just a weird world. I think like... Back in WZ days, there wasn't there was a few of us that were stabbing, and it was to create fear. Well, in my mind, it was to create fear. Fuck, don't go in their sevens. You stab someone, he stab you. Um, now it's like it doesn't matter. Like that took me years to build up a reputation. I was a street kid from ten years old. Like now it's just like normal kids. That it's fear, isn't it? It's like it's it's pumped so much in the media and everything. It's like drill music, everything. It's just fear, fear, fear. So a kid's gonna be just like I was scared. 
you carry a knife. The more fear that's out there, the more stabbings, more kids are carrying knives, and then you're just going to attract it. You're going to walk around that corner, walk around that corner, and it just happens. It's two young boys losing their life because they're not really real... Mur the majority of them are not really hardened murderers. They're like one time, oh, shank this kid, shank that kid. One kid's dead, the other one's doing life. So it's, um, I think fear creates it. What advice would you give to kids watching this who are carrying knives? It's so difficult because people always ask me this and they want me to come up with a with an answer, but I wouldn't have listened to anybody. Do you know what I mean? Um, so say you were asked like do a school talk on knife yeah, crime. Yeah. What would you tell those kids? I would tell them kids that to like basically look at my story. I've come from the dark side, basically wrote a book got it published it's being studied in universities in criminology and sociology i had no skills at school but i managed to do that and then i always saw kids rapping they want to rap and then i saw my friends rapping and i looked on and i just thought you guys are writing like lyrics you you can't write a book like i didn't want to be the same so basically to not follow the crowd it's very difficult when it's just pumped in your face as a kid. You're following music that glamorizes that lifestyle, bling lifestyle. It's, it's, it's difficult but to try and break away from it. But I don't think, say you're a kid in trouble or in a gang, you're not usually coming from a home that's got money. Um, but unless your parents have got money or got some good connections to get you the hell out of that borough, how are you meant to leave that gang and you still got to walk through that bar and go to school? You're going to just become a victim. So that's what, yeah, unless unless you've got the funds, your family got the funds to really get you out of there, it's, it's like a trap. That's so if trap. kids in London watching this want you to speak at their school, would you be willing to do that and how would they contact you? Um, contact me through my website. I'll put that website yeah. in the description box below this video. Yeah. Yes, contact me through my website. Um, yeah, I'm well happy to, she, she to willing do, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Is there a certain part of London that you're, you're yeah, located South, in? South London. Could, South London South would be best London, for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You said you're writing a second book? Yeah, I've, I, I wrote a second book. It's with my publisher at the moment. Um, it's called, the rough title is called um, A Silent Scream. Silent scream is like I'm screaming inside. I'm absolutely nuts, but no one around the outside seeing what's going on. So the Lost Boys ends in prison. I've just been sentenced that four and a half years. I'm with that killer, Richard Markham, um, and then it just ends. The following book is I get shipped to Wood Hill, all them crazy prison stories, the mental breakdown, and basically how difficult it is for a prisoner or someone with mental health issues to come out and basically fit back into society. So it, the, the purpose is that is to basically highlight mental health and prison, prison release. So that's with the publisher at the moment and should be being published hopefully by the end of the year. So if you want gritty stories well told, um, Kindle, like I said, I've got it on my Kindle available worldwide the links are in the description box below this video if you want to get his book and are there any other ways people can support you out there have you got anything you'd like to say um yeah if you want to buy just if you want to buy the lost boys um you can buy it from amazon um ebay 
my publisher, Waterside Press, um, or you can order it through WH Smiths or Waterstones. And it's being studied in universities right now. Yes, being studied in Birmingham City University for the last couple of years, 500 first-year criminology students for the last couple of years. This year should be studied again. Um, And then they basically have to study my life and write a 2,000-word essay on whether my behavior was due to nurture or nature. And then I go up at the end of the year and I do a lecture with Professor David Wilson. Um, And then it's just going into Coventry Uni, criminology, uh, with Dr. Tim Turner. I think that's second-year criminology students. It's optional to be studied in Aberdeen Uni in sociology. And, it well, I'm doing talks at the University of East London at the end of the year. I've got loads of unis lined up now because I've got really good testimonials from professors and doctors and stuff. It's, I'm really pushing it in that direction. Love to get Dr. David Wilson on the podcast. I've watched a lot of his stuff on TV if he's out there watching any of these. <laughs> yeah. Man, you have been through so much, so much stuff and you've got a family. Yeah. You've got a book published. You've got yeah. a second book on the way. Yeah. I, uh, also, I sold the film option as well, so it's being turned into a movie. Brilliant. There's not been a British movie with graffiti in gangs in like they're the unique points the graffiti and then graffiti and satanism like it's never been done so like um i've got a good up-and-coming director good script writer and yes all it's it moves slow the film process but it's moving in the right direction that's a hell of a turnaround please let us know what you think about this podcast put your comments below put your likes down and subscribe Man, I just want to, you know, thank thanks, you for coming man. in and Cheers. just congratulations, yeah, yeah, thanks, man. Staying strong in your life, Cheers, there, man. man. Brilliant. Thanks, yeah, mate. Well done. With business, you're like, this is it. I've got it licked. I know what I'm doing. And then you walk around the corner and you get punched in the face <laughs> because you just aren't expecting that next thing. Sage members like Jamie can manage any unexpected surprises with our helpful business tools and advice from real experts. Sage, helping business flow. Are you into the coast? watching Barbary monkeys play in the trees and strolling on secluded beaches? Or are you into the city with its bustling streets and murals round every corner? Well, the northwest of Ireland might be the place for you with Donegal's beaches, the walled city of Derry and EasyJet flights from 1999 to Belfast. You'll have the drive over to think, why are there Barbary monkeys in Donegal? Selected dates up to 31st of December 22, flights one way, travel restrictions and T's and C's apply. See easyjet.com.